welcome to Accounting for the Now, a podcast that brings you real success stories and insights from New Zealand's most successful accountants and industry-leading bookkeepers on how to take your accounting business to the next level. I'm your host, Ryan J. Melton from One Plan for Retirement, and I'm here to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. So we're here with uh, Angus from Generate Accounting, and I always find it fascinating how different people run their businesses, and you've been doing it for eight years now. But I'm curious, you did tell me before we started, you it wasn't necessarily you didn't wake up as a ch- or go through your adolescence dreaming about being an accountant necessarily. No, definitely not. But how did, how did it all start? What, what made you start getting into this world? Uh, well, I mean, I did a little bit of an accounting degree at university, um, and. Uh, I, um, to be honest, I really enjoyed doing arts papers. So I ended up being a Master of Arts in Politics, of all things. And uh, that really qualified me for very little. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, uh, at the end of my master's degree, a friend of mine rang me up and asked me what I was doing for a job. Because up until, you know, the October of that year, I'd been getting a student allowance and and I had a part-time job and so everything was pretty good. But it hadn't occurred to me, of course, that after the exams, the the government would stop paying me any money. (laughs) So... um, so I thought that was a sounded like a bloody good idea to me to actually go out and, and get a full-time job until I worked out something down the track. So um, it was a customer services role, um, and I went up to um, – it was just up the hill in Simon Street, so just up from the university, um, and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed one Monday morning in October 1993, um, and – presented myself for my first day at work at a company called Clear Communications. Had no idea what they did um, and soon became clear they were a telecommunications company. <laughs> um, and I left there 10 years later. So I started out in customer service. Uh, I quickly got into an account management role. Clear, of course, at that time were the second entrant into the market. So this is a time when the New Zealand telecommunications market was deregulated. Mm. And telecom as it was then, Spark now, but uh, telecom in those days, we were their first competitor. Um, So I did an account management gig down in Otago, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and off the back of that, uh, transferred back up to Auckland again, um, went into what was called a sales executive role, which was new de- new business development primarily, um, and then into sales management, specialist sales management as the company grew. Um, and after 10 years, I left as a specialist sales manager. What was the sale? Normally, you know, accountants aren't necessarily the most extroverted of sorts going out there hunting and selling. And was it, was there some sort of fear attribution or were you just naturally comfortable with people? No, I'm, um, yeah, I suppose I'm the anti accountant in that, in that (laughs) regard. Um, I always remember actually that, um, I, 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 I was struggling when I first got into a sales role. And fortunately, I was surrounded by some, uh, incredible salespeople. Um, and one of them who, uh, I suppose he was kind of mentoring me, but it was never a formal thing. Um, but kind of fell into it and, um, became the best of mates. And I always remember him saying to me, you know, Angus, God gave you two ears and one mouth. 
And if you use them in that proportion, you can't go wrong. Because I thought sales was all about talking to people and persuading them, but it's not at all. Um, And so uh, it's really around asking sort of informed questions uh, to get the sort of answers that you need. And then um, so, you know, obviously uh, went through a lot of sales training, uh, and that's been invaluable. Um, even in my current role um, in, in public practice as an accountant, um, you know, we do a lot of advisory board meetings with uh, with clients, and you know, probably more than fifty percent of the discussion is around sales and marketing. Mm. Um, so I suppose that makes me a bit unusual for an accountant, and as much as most accountants tend to, you know, when I when I did finally finish off my accountancy papers, I, I did them part time through Massey. Um, uh, I was always intrigued that um, the the study that you do, uh, none of it that I could recall actually talks about revenue at all. So for most accountants, revenue just falls from the sky, <laughs> and once that's occurred, they take over and do the box. You know, <laughs> um, so you know, and it was interesting because. Um, as that sales career uh, continued on, one of my last uh, full-time gigs was as national manager of MYOB, the software company in New Zealand. And I always knew that if we were struggling to get a room full of accountants for one of our roadshows, that we should put on a specialist speaker who would tell them how to sell. And as soon as we did that, we would pack the room. So there was a real hunger amongst accountants in terms of you know, the actual process of selling, how do I go about that? Um, and, uh, you know, so it's it's an invaluable skill. Yeah. Well done on keeping your composure. And, uh, what's the little, we've got a little dog in the podcast. Oh, this is, uh, this is Bertie. Yeah. Bertie, Bertie distracted you and you get your composure. <laughs> so play. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. It's all part of it. Enjoy. And, and I think yeah, it's an invaluable skill. I mean, you can't run a business if you're not if you're not selling, and if you if you don't operationally deliver on what that brand promises, then you Correct. have a business. Yeah. So I mean, that's one of the things that I actually, you know, went particularly with startups where where people have got an idea for a new business or something like. One of the first questions I ask them is, "Are you comfortable with selling?" Mm. Um, which is uh, tends to rock people back on their heels a wee bit because often they haven't thought about that. Um, and of course, you know, if you're starting out a new business, uh, nobody else is going to be doing the selling but you. So if you're not comfortable with that process, um, and some people genuinely aren't, they're very talented at what they do. They just can't, um, you know, uh, bring a, a new business opportunity to a close, then they're really going to struggle. Mm. Oh, that's so important. Yeah. Client acquisition. I'm not, I'm naturally fearful of people and, um, and so I did commissionally selling for a number of years mm-hmm. and managed to sort of face that. And it's one of the most valuable skills I ever learned. I, as you say, it wasn't it wasn't about manipulating or um, entertaining dogs while you're spinning yarn. It was uh, <laughs> it was about uh, connecting and really um, understanding the person and helping solve that problem, a genuine problem. There'll be times where. You get taught these objection handle models. They say this. You pretend mm, like you mm. understand. You tell them why they're wrong. But if you actually genuinely find the source of the true problem, and your intent is to solve it, whether it's for you, yes. your company, or it's just the right thing to say, it's just been one of the most valuable tools. But I think, 
it's always good to set the scene of because not many accountants really share the information of how they're doing it. It's somewhat competitive. And what, what what's the structure of the business that you have currently? Like the staff members, how many clients, how you sort of service cool. them? And- well, we have. Um- Gosh, we must have coming up to about 300 business clients now. Um, and uh, some just use us for compliance work. So what I mean by that is, I guess, uh, keeping them compliant with the IRD and the company's office and tax returns and all that exciting stuff. <laughs> um, that's still a really important part of our practice because, of course, that pays the bills. But an increasing amount of my time is being spent in business advisory. Um, and the way that we structure that is, is we tend to have what we call advisory board meetings. Um, and typically it'll be, uh, firms with more than one partner, uh, or one director. Um, and, uh, you know, we go through a, um, a formal agenda process on a monthly or quarterly basis, depending on what the client needs. Um, and we cover off all their, um, you know, uh, financial matters, of course. Um, so we'll go through monthly accounts or quarterly accounts, look at cash flow, which of course is, is absolutely critical. Mm. And, um, uh, then we might talk a little bit around business planning. So, uh, it's very important to put a strategy in place. Um, so we spend some time up front doing that and then really reporting against those KPIs. Uh, another, uh, well, perfect. Uh, well-received distraction. Uh, Some coffee. Receiving coffee while you're spinning yarn as well. Excellent. Um, thank you, Fiona. That's our director of first impressions. <laughs> uh, Excellent. So, yeah, I, I see that. I see that morphing a lot in advisory or oh, accountancy practices is that they are looking either to the advisor role from an interest and passion, and also to de-risk the future of the business in terms of. You know, there's still always going to be people that don't want to do it. Yeah. But in terms of the high yield, high return, the compliance work pays the immediate cash flow, as you say, but the the long term worthwhile, like um, value for time, mm. it's not quite in the same same ballpark as advisory might be. Well, the other thing we do with recruitment, I think, it, um, I'm not sure if it's been deliberate, but I, I, I've. Um, I've kind of ended up not following the classic advice when it comes to, to running an accounting practice. So, mm. you know, most accountants would, would take the view that um, it's too hard to um, to bring on staff members who aren't trained in financial accounting. So that's tax, basically. Mm. Um, I, I take the opposing view. So I tend to uh, attract candidates uh, for the team who come from a commercial background because they've actually got some acumen. They understand what it's like to uh, lose sleep over whether you're going to meet payroll or not um, or to have an ongoing tax issue or something of that. So, you know, there's empathy there. Mm. They've actually experienced it prior in their prior career working in a commercial role. I can teach them the tax bit. Um, but the critical thing is uh, that they've got some commercial nous because, you know, frankly, that is what the clients are searching for. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, because of my fairly unusual career progression of sort of having a midlife crisis and becoming an accountant, <laughs> um, which I think is probably a first in the history of the world, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I've had a lot of experience running 
well, um, large teams um, working in the corporate environment. And of course, corporates are, um, you know, were once small companies, but they're just incredibly successful. So, um, you know, you learn a lot of skills at the corporate level that um, can be employed really usefully um, in in small to medium enterprises. That's a good point. I mean, like you think <clears throat> business is a lonely endeavor somewhat, especially in leadership where you're, if you're a good leader, you're putting the interests of others before yourself and you also have boundaries. So you're obviously yes. making sure that you have self-love as well. But having someone that is in your core and is mutually invested in what in the outcome of your business, it, it makes sense that you would have that supportive role as part of an accountant. Yeah. It's just it's synergetic. But why do you think the traditional school of thinking is to have that qualification? Is it compliance risk? Is they feel like it's not a competency that they can develop in people that aren't interested? Or what do you think? Oh, look, I think uh, most accountants in practice are time poor. Um, so they tend to accept um, all and every opportunity that, that uh, comes across the doorstep. Um, and I was certainly as guilty as the next person of doing that earlier on um, in running the practice. But these days, um, you know, it's not a question of uh, not wanting to take on additional clients, but I suppose we're a little bit more uh, circumspect in as much as, is it going to be a good fit? Um, can I really add any value? Mm. Um, and so there are certain um, uh, certain industry types that I tend to specialize in as opposed to just being a generalist. So obviously we don't want to exclude any of the business owners listening, but like, and, and you'd be open, there'd probably be attributes about that company and that person. Mm. You'd still gravitate towards despite them not fitting in that mold. But is there the niches that you've discovered and how did you discover that they were good for you and you were good for them? Well, I mean, I've got a lot of professional service clients, for instance, ah, okay. um, because I'm in professional services. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and uh, so that was, the, the, I suppose, the first logical industry type. Um, but I've, I've got a lot of uh, people in building and construction. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, that, um, that, that's been really useful in terms of uh, understanding the challenges there over the last probably four to five years that I've had those sorts of relationships. Big um, emphasis on uh, cash flow. Uh, which is critical, uh, but also, you know, we have long-ranging discussions on health and safety, on HR, on recruitment of staff, you name it. Mm. Um, so it's not just a, a, a really dry financial discussion. Mm. Um, so building and construction has been uh, one of those areas. Um, fortuitously, with COVID, I didn't have any exposure in the hospitality area or tourism, which I'm very happy about. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, and, and, you know, I don't say that lightly. Obviously, those people have been through hell and back. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, um, the reality in the Auckland market is that, you know, a lot of people um, uh, work in professional services, um, yourself included. Mm. Um, so it tends to be a service type economy. Um, we've had some uh, retail and wholesale um, uh, clients, and they continue to uh, uh, to have advisory board meetings with me, uh, particularly on the wholesale side, so importers, um, and uh, you know they're going through some interesting challenges at the moment oh, with geez. with trying to get stock into the country and satisfy client orders, and and uh, you know just when you think you've solved a problem, another one comes around the corner. 
So, you know, it's been a very dynamic time. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the industries that, that I tend to specialize in, but I would never count anyone out. Yeah, I, I find that. I mean, <clears throat> financially, certain industries are interested in what we have to do, but I think I think often people make the mistake of the business is separate from the person. Mm. And bit soft and the person is the business, you know, so it's like the attributes of who they are, what they're trying to do. That's absolutely right. There's very few people who, who you know, um, from a legal perspective, a company is a distinct entity from an individual. But for small to medium business owners, they don't actually get that. Uh, the company is them. Mm. Uh, often their finances are... are uh, um, are mixed in together. They have personal guarantees that they've given, so they're not. Um, they don't have the full benefit of the limited liability company. You know, if it was to fail, then the creditors will come after them. Um, they might have extended their own mortgage to purchase the business or to grow the business, put capital in. So, um, yeah, that distinction between the company and the individual is is not really uh, the reality. No. Um, so, you know, normally when, when um, people come to me, you know, I, I, I'm interested to understand why they got into business. Um, I'm certainly interested to understand their personal goals um, and see if we can, you know, as part of the business plan, um, pull together those personal goals and the company goals so that they are congruent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that I think that's essential. Um, you can't just look at the company in isolation. Yeah, it's huge, especially that vision aspect. I mean, <clears throat> we decided eventually once ago that if they managed a team of 15, and there's the old analogy, people won't get on a bus if they don't know where it's going. Yeah. And it's the same thing if you're aligning your business goals to your personal goals. But you, you did touch on that, that guarantee side of things and limited liability. Is it the landscape's changed somewhat with trust? You know, there's, there's more disclosure mm. requirements and... And obviously, um, it's not as airtight as it once was. And what do you sort of recommend to clients now in terms of protecting their, their, I guess, that risk, you know, protecting, mitigating against the potential risk of credit is coming for them? Well, I suppose, um, you know, normally I'll meet with a client for upwards of an hour um, when I first, when we first meet. Um, and that's on a complimentary basis. There's no charge for that. We've obviously got to understand. Um, well, it's a mutual thing, so the client needs to feel comfortable with me and vice versa. Um, but, you know, there's some uh, there, there's some initial things that I'll always say to the client, and one of those is around personal guarantees. Um, and, you know, I've probably been in practice long enough now to see the downside of personal guarantees when the company fails. Mm. So... Um, uh, people just aren't um, very diligent when it comes to signing paperwork. <laughs> We're all busy. Somebody puts a form in front of you <laughs> yeah. and you sign it. Yeah. Um, oh. You know, the, the stuff on the on the back of the carbonated order form, all the terms and conditions in eight-point font, mm. most people don't go through that. One thing I do always say to everybody, though, is make the effort, turn the page over, and just see if there's anything there called personal guarantee. Um, and you'll be stunned how many companies have that as part of their terms and conditions. For instance, the company that I get my photocopier from, uh, they wanted, when I signed a lease for the photocopier, they wanted a personal guarantee. Interestingly, though, when I scored that out, 
they didn't come back to me and say, well, we can't do business with you. So I think uh, the legal fraternity, who are obviously acting in the best interests of those suppliers, they've obviously said uh, in their advice that they should include a personal guarantee clause in there. Um, But, you know, as I say to my clients, um, score it out um, and don't agree to it. Mm. Um, because there will be other firms who are um, uh, who won't demand that sort of thing. Is it like um, is there a reason why people might go the personal guarantee route, and it makes sense, or is it a general? <clears throat> well, I don't think a personal guarantee ever makes sense because okay. what it's doing is it's done it's it's eroding the limited liability structure of a company. Okay. So uh, all of a sudden, you are personally guaranteeing debts. Um, you won't get away with scoring it out on a bank loan, <laughs> unfortunately, um, uh, or a mortgage document. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly with um, commercial suppliers, I think it's part of a negotiation. Um, so, you know, it, it, one you can understand why suppliers do it. They want to mitigate their risk mm. and they want to make it as easy as possible to collect debt. Mm. Um, so, uh, but you know, uh, people who are uh, committing themselves to um, any sort of obligation, I think, need to think twice before they do it. All right, cool. Probably the accountants listening to this is like, "Oh, you bonehead, Ryan, you should know all this stuff." But I, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to look stupid, so at least if I if I come across a not at all. Um, then, then I can at least point them in the right direction. I won't advise, but I'll say, "Here's a potential issue. You should talk to such and such." So. You got that sales background, and I'll be interested. You, you're like, okay, I'm doing accounting, done, done my part time. How am I going to do this? How am I going to sell? Where am I going to go? What mm-hmm. am I going to do? What, what was that like, and how did you start? Well, I mean, I I'd finished off my um, qualifications, and um, I was in probably in my gosh early to mid forties at that time, um, and so the prospect of um, coming from a senior sort of C-level type role into um, a, a junior or intermediate accountancy role was not really that attractive. Yeah, yeah. So I went out and bought a practice. Oh, you just brought it? Yeah. And uh, I would not advise that to anyone. <laughs> um, talk about a baptism by fire. <laughs> um, but fortuitously, I had a couple of senior accountants in the firm um, and – you know, they were able to teach me, I suppose. So I knew all the accounting um, theory. Um, I was fairly familiar with the software, having um, been involved with MYOB. Um, but uh, it's fair to say the actual mechanics of compliance were a bit rusty. Mm. Um, uh, also, the the um, person who was selling the firm uh, stayed uh, for about a six-month period. So I was able to come up to speed faster that way. But it was, um, you know, looking back on it, um, you certainly always need to take risks in life, but I prefer to take, um, um, you know, informed risks. And looking back on it, I'm not sure that was particularly well informed. (laughs) But it worked. No one sued me. Um, And, uh, um, you know, I think we've got a reasonable reputation in the marketplace Yeah, yeah, you've done well. Pressure makes diamonds. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's a tricky thing because one as well, you're buying a relationship, and then and then you might provide a service in a in an ask, or in a way that they're not used to or not valuing in the same way that they would with the prior one. 
So there's, there's, there's a few challenges. What, what is it like to, like, if you were to um, console a dog as well as answer this question at once, <laughs> um, would be if, you were to, if an accountant was looking to sell their business or if an accountant was looking to buy their business, what are the lessons you've learned from that experience and what obviously potentially maybe don't do it for one, but... Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, technology's big. So, um, uh, oddly, coming from a software background and technology background, it's one area of due diligence that I really didn't do well. Um, I bought a practice with incredibly old IT. Um, I'll never forget, actually, the... Um, I think it was the first or second day uh, after I'd taken the practice over, there was this quite uh, loud beeping sound coming out of a cupboard. Um, And I went down to investigate it, and sure enough, it was the server. We may have to pause. I think he's just going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we'll just let the dog out and he's going to go to the And we're back. The dog has been liberated from its prison. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, the selling side of the thing, first you brought it, but like... Did you just try and do your best to do a great job with the clients and then potentially they referred it through or what was the, what allowed you to grow? Because it sounds like you had these senior accountants and then, oh, the beeping. You got to tell me about the beeping. The beeping. Okay. So I think it was day one or two of taking over the practice and there was this beeping sound coming out of a cupboard. Um, And that was uh, alarming to say the least because when I went and opened the cupboard up, uh, there was a very old server in there, um, something that I had done no due diligence on whatsoever. So I'd obviously borrowed a large sum of money to buy the practice, um, and that looked like quite an expensive item. Um, so uh, uh, it was just happenstance, really. I, I ran into a fellow at a networking event uh, who was starting up a technology company of his own. Mm. Um, and he started talking to me about cloud computing, which this is 2012. I, you know, it was all quite novel to me. Mm. Um, and uh, I mentioned my beeping box problem. Um, and he said, oh, well, that's no problem. Um, you don't have to buy a new server. We can put it all into the cloud for you. Um, which I thought was too good to be true. I think the bill for the replacing the box was up for about $15,000, which I didn't have. Oh, God, yeah. So, you know, I was open to any solution. <laughs> yeah. um, so we, we probably, uh, I imagine, we were one of the early adopters of cloud technology in the accounting industry, mm-hmm. but not because it was planned. Um, and I remember coming in, uh, they, they, they cut over one... Um, I cut over one weekend and I came in on the Monday morning and turned on my laptop and nothing appeared to have changed. Um, And I was a bit concerned about that. So I rang them up and I said, I thought you guys were cutting us over. You know, we did that at the weekend. And I said, well, nothing's changed. And he said, well, get up off your seat, walk down the corridor, open up uh, the cupboard and see if the light's on on that machine, which I did. And sure enough, it wasn't even plugged in. (laughs) <laughs> so the whole thing was e- extraordinary. It was just seamless, mm. um, which was a huge relief. Um, and uh, we've never looked back. So, um, you know, from that, I learned the lesson that we need to get uh, a little bit more productive in what we did. So we went paperless very early on. Wow. Um, we developed a um, uh, 
a questionnaire that we send to the clients at the start of their uh, preparing their financial accounts. Um, th that was uh, done electronically. Um, and uh, all the paper records are digitized and, and shredded. So we're a no paper practice now. And in fact, no paper comes into the practice at all anymore. Sure. Um, so, you know, that was quite early on in the piece. Um, and we also adopted um, zero um, quite early on uh, in the practice. So I think around about uh, early 2013. Um, so I actually said to the guys, um, I said, you're using the software all day long. Um, so you make the decision. Uh, but at the moment, I think for memory, we had f upwards of five different types of software in the firm. Mm. Um, we had MYOB. Um, we had a little bit of Xero. We had uh, two or three other vendors that, that we were using. Um, so I said, look, this doesn't make any sense. I think we need to get really good at one uh, piece of software mm. rather than being average at five. Yeah. Um, so you go away and do the due diligence, come back to me with your recommendations and whatever you recommend we'll run with. Um, and, you know, coming from MYAB, I was kind of expecting they would come back with a recommendation that we will go with MYAB. <laughs> um, but they came back and said, no, no, we want to do zero. And so I'd made the big announcement. It's your decision, not mine. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had to run with it. Um, and uh, I've never regretted it. So, um, uh, you know, we, again, we were very early adopters on Zero as well. So um, all that technology stuff. Oh, and the other thing was uh, I learned my lesson and... and um, uh, we, we've always had, you know, state-of-the-art IT ever since. Okay. Um, so, you know, the fastest internet, the um, all the accessories that are required to do the job properly, the, you know, top-of-the-line headsets um, for for the phone. Um, we don't have a phone system. It's, it's, it's a digital system, mm. you know, the whole nine yards so that people are truly mobile. Um, and, you know, with COVID, that, that paid back in spades. How do you? My experience is rather unusual, and and also where we're aiming to go because obviously my competitors are fifty plus and not necessarily tech savvy, so I'd rather compete with the great wide in the desert than the ocean. So that's why the social media as well. Mm. So did you find with the questionnaires was there any challenges with adoption because construction industry aren't necessarily big on their computers or or um how do you find it's actually taking your practice to the next level as well? Well, I mean, it's it's hugely more efficient. Okay. Um, when I first uh, went into public practice, um, there were, uh, you know, we used to talk about shoebox accounts. So if you can imagine a shoebox <laughs> full of paper, um, often more than one, um, people would come in with these shoeboxes once a year and you might spend, you know, two or three days making some sort of sense of it all. Mm. Um, coding all that information into the uh, computer and, um, uh, you know, it was all wasted time, mm. essential, but um, delivering no value um, and expensive. Um, so, you know, the the advent of Xero um, and eventually Xero did their own questionnaire, uh, which we adopted, um, that's enabled us to, to uh, make enormous productivity gains in the practice. Um, 
and uh, in, there was an education piece there with clients, no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, if people really struggled, they just came in and, and sat with us and we answered the questions or they, uh, these days we just do a video conference. Mm. Um and uh, so we work around. So we still have, I mean, I still have um, probably around about 20 clients who would be 70 plus and probably not that IT savvy. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's exactly how we deal with those clients is, is that we will take them through either over the phone or on a video conference if they can manage to work the video conference mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and answer those questions with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have, we've had clients for 30 years. We have... Um, 80 year olds and 9 year olds yeah, so we yeah. understand that well I've got a 90 year old mother so I can you know I can understand that there is a generation that is not at all at home with technology yeah <laughs> and she's certainly in that camp yeah. <laughs> well this is fascinating I mean one that probably explains why you don't necessarily have to do the traditional accounting because you've got a systemized structure that people can go through the process yes. as a means to mitigate their lack of understanding as they're going through it. Yeah. And you probably have some controls. What would What's your software stack? Like, what, what are you using? Are you using a CRM that integrates with Xero or Xero has yes. the capability to do Well, Xero has, Xero, has uh, Xero Practice Manager, so we use the, the whole Xero suite. Um but in addition to that, uh, we use a couple of, of software tools. One's called Float, uh, which is a cash flow um, forecasting tool. Okay. Um, and we use that uh, particularly for our advisory board meetings, and it's excellent. Mm. Um, it's actually Scottish. Um, so uh, with a name like Angus, I've got a bit of Scottish ancestry. So, I, you know, I, I, um, the Scots are famous for short arms and long pockets. <laughs> so it's perfect that a cash flow, piece of cash flow software was developed there. <laughs> um, but it works extremely well. And the other one we use is a thing called Fathom. Uh, and Fathom pulls all the data out of zero and um, produces um, some excellent insight into KPIs around the business. Um, and they can either be uh, financial KPIs or non-financial KPIs. So we have some clients, for instance, who measure NPS scores, uh, net promoter scores, in terms of how happy their punters are. Mm. Uh, and we will we will enter that manually into that system and and measure that as a KPI over time. Mm. Um, so uh, and clients love it. So um, for most people, I know this will come as a shock, but most people really don't um, get accounting, want to get accounting, um, and their eyes glaze over if you give them a set of books. <laughs> so if you can actually produce something. Uh, on a TV screen, as we do in the office, um, which is uh, attractive visually mm. um, and displays KPIs uh, in any way other than just a row of numbers, you know, you get that experience around the table of people saying, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Which is a real breakthrough moment, you know? Yeah. Oh, it makes massive sense. I mean, I was talking to we've got new, new things going on. Um, we had a had a um, accountant Jeffrey Hughes, and he he built his practice. Well, initially he did an entertainment company, so he was running um, concerts and that okay, sort of thing. Yeah. And his sort of lesson to me was that obviously we're all different learners. Yes. Um, and we make this mistake in financial planning is very written heavy mm. and trying to visualize it and make it more engaging. So mm. we've got the screen in the office, but we haven't quite got there. Mm. I'm somewhere between 
uh, 66-year-old well-established financial planner and me trying to trying to revolutionize the tech space but still emulate what he does very right, well. Right, right. So we're trying to merge those two worlds. But it's a good lesson. What would be your advice to a practice that recognizes this is an important thing to do? Um, how would you first start or what would you look at? Just go all in, find where the red light is and chuck it in the bin. And- well, you know, I mean, I think – I think the whole profession is going through a lot of change. Um, and there's no doubt that the age of the partner or partners in the firm will determine how quickly that change is occurring. So, you know, I see some uh, younger practitioners coming in now where um, there's a heavy bent towards technology. Um, and I suspect, you know, one thing I have learned um, uh, in practice is that not exclusively, but often you will attract clients who are around your age bracket. Oh, okay. Um, and to go back to your point, you know, what, what did you learn from buying, in a, buying a practice? <laughs> um, if you buy a practice of a retiring accountant, um, what I didn't factor in, of course, is that uh, a lot of the clients uh, that I were purchasing were actually in that age group too. Mm. Um, so, you know, you need to assess how long are they going to be clients? Um, are they going to retire? Are they going to, um, you know, um, uh, go up north and, and, uh, and, uh, and relax? Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, I think the younger practitioners who are coming into, uh, into the industry are, are, have a natural bent towards technology. Um, I think it's irresistible. Mm. Um, the thing about business advisory <clears throat> is that everybody in the profession knows they should be doing it. Um, there's a lot of discussion now around artificial intelligence, machine learning, those types of um, technologies where, um, you know, uh, if you are to believe those people promoting it, you know, we might be looking in five to ten years' time where compliance is a is a minor sort of a matter that's largely systemized and you press a button on a computer. And I'm not entirely sure we'll ever get to that stage. I think those people who are working in that area are finding it a little more challenging than they perhaps thought at first. Um, I think they were suggested by the fact that accounting is all about numbers. Computers do numbers really well, so this is going to be a cinch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Zero has been promising um, artificial intelligence and machine learning now for many years mm. and nothing's come to market yet. But my advice would be to plan as if that's going to happen, whether it happens or not is irrelevant. But how would you replace that revenue and income in your practice if the compliance thing were to disappear? And business advisory is a key part of that. It's actually what clients want. So you said earlier on that, you know, being in business can be lonely, um, and it certainly can. Um, so people actually want someone who's got their back, um, but has some commercial acumen to help them through, um, and, and hopefully to, um, uh, to, um, uh, wise them up to, you know, potential pitfalls that, uh, that they can avoid. Um, and there's a huge market for it, an enormous appetite for it. Um, but I think there are a lot of practitioners who are 
uh, confused about how do you actually go about doing that? How do you sell that service? Um, and and um, how do you bring clients on into that advisory space? Mm. So in terms of, of our uh, experience around that. One of the things that we did early on was to say to people, look, we have these things called advisory boards. They're a monthly meeting. We discuss all this stuff. Um, why don't you um, make a time, come in, we'll take you through what we would do in a normal monthly advisory session uh, or quarterly advisory session, and there'll be no charge. Now, the concept of that for a lot of Accounts and practice <laughs> might be a little alarming, uh, but believe it, it's a one-off. <laughs> um, but it's kind of saying, look, if you don't see any value in this, then you're free to walk out the door. I'll never mention it again. You know? mm. um, but I'm proud to say that in, uh, every time I've offered a free advisory session, then that client moves into that advisory space quite quickly. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that is technology. Part of it's commercial acumen. Um, so, you know, the one thing about accountants and practice is that they see and hear a lot about business. Um, and whilst they may not uh, consider themselves to be particularly good at business um, in terms of a traditional business as opposed to a professional business, um, you know, they pick up an awful lot of information along the way. And so I think it's like anything in life. You feel um, really quite uh, um, almost like an imposter when you start doing business advisory on, in the, <laughs> on a formal sort of a basis, but you get better and better and better at it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I encourage any practitioner who's not currently dabbling in that space to use that approach to say, or even just to be honest and say, look, this is something we're thinking of doing. I need some guinea pigs to practice <laughs> on. Would you mind being a guinea pig yeah, for me? Yeah. And just see if you see any value in, in, in what I'm doing. Um, and, and the agenda's not that hard to pull together. So obviously there's going to be a financial component. So that's reviewing monthly accounts. Uh, it's talking about debtors. So, um, you know, um, understanding when revenue is going to come into the company is really important for cash flow. Um, so that, sh that could inform a 15, 20 minute conversation. You then talk about roadblocks. So what are the roadblocks in the business that you're feeling at the moment? Um, and often the, um, the client will, um, disclose a whole bunch of stuff which might inform the rest of that meeting. Um, there's never nothing to talk about. Mm. Um, I've never had that at all. So there's always a challenge in somebody's business that they want to talk about. And of course, if you've aligned their own personal goals with the business, then it may not just be about the business. Yeah. Um, which is which is fascinating. So, you know, as you develop relationships with clients, you often find yourself being in a situation where they disclose a whole bunch of personal stuff to you too. Um, and accountants, obviously, um, confidentiality is, is a key part of, of accountancy. And so I think, you know, it's funny. You, sometimes I feel a bit like a modern day priest, you know, sort of this confessional. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's good to have that that depth of a relationship. Yeah, that makes it. I mean, we we see ourselves as the trusted <clears throat> advisor. Sure, you sit down, you do the plan, think about insurance structure, protect them. But really, it's like someone that's there when you need them, mm. and of capacity that they have a competency in. So, um, as we wrap this up, what would be a, a good place to to find you? Like, 
maybe maybe there's an accountant that's looking to to get into the field and maybe you're hiring or maybe you're thinking in the the 10 year time frame your success section plan maybe they want a good systemized approach or something like that how would they find you oh look i'm always only too delighted to talk to other practitioners or people wanting to enter the industry i'm heavily involved in cpa australia which is the professional body that i um, belong to and um, i do that routinely i even mentor um, one or two uh, people um, as part of that so um, yeah I think that's a very important part of it um, in terms of giving somebody a hand up um, and uh, you know um, I didn't have that so um, I know I would have appreciated it um, so yes Generate Accounting is the name of the firm um, and uh, you know only too delighted to to catch up for a coffee or a chat because you know a lot of challenges that other practitioners are facing um you know they will there will be commonality um and it's it's interesting what you said earlier you know it's um we so often go to professional events um and there's often a networking opportunity afterwards and there tends to be a natural reservation Mm. amongst practitioners to actually say well i've got this problem what are you doing about it i don't know why that is um and you know i'm I'm really keen to break that down because you know uh we're not really competitors there's Mm. plenty of business out there um and uh um you know who cares if uh somebody adopts one of your great ideas isn't that isn't that you know um uh, i would have thought that's a feather in your cap <laughs> yeah yeah it is right this up i mean one of the best uh, lessons i ever learned was i was over competitive in the sales environment at the expense of the people in the company and i got told off by one of the people i trained like why do you do that um, realized it was insecurity and um, and actually was serving not serving my best interest because mm-hmm, I'm coming mm-hmm. from a scarcity mindset. So since then, I've just been freely open to sharing and, and growing with people because it's in my best interest. It challenges me to be better. Teaching um, encourages the knowledge to uh, last and for you to connect and understand it better. But on that note, I'll have it in the description. Yeah, the, the generate, I'll have your, um, if there's any social media, LinkedIn maybe. But do we definitely have your website and uh, thanks for coming on. All good. Thanks for having me. 